Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Today we celebrate in our church calendar the the Feast of Pentecost or the Day of Pentecost, though we celebrate this day for a very much different reason than the reason it was originally celebrated. You see, Pentecost is the day that the Jews uh, celebrate the giving of the law at Mount Sinai which to, to me is quite interesting in and of itself uh, because as Christians, we see the law completely different than Israel does. Uh, we tend to think of the law a little bit different than Israel. Israel did not and does not see the law as a millstone hanging around their neck or some big obstacle, but rather they see it, see it as being something that connects them to God and the way in which they are called to live. And thus they see it as something to celebrate, something to remember what God has done. But I do think it's important for us to understand this background of the day of Pentecost in the context because it helps us understand everything that happens at the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes down. You see, the word Pentecost actually just means the word 50th. It's the 50th day after Passover. And thus, that is the reason that the, uh, that's the reason it's called Pentecost. And the reason that they celebrate it is because they are remembering the law that they received from Moses at Sinai. One thing I find fascinating about uh, their response to this, in addition to their thinking it's worthy to be celebrated, something that's worthy to be remembered, is their response to the receiving of the law. If we were to look back in Exodus chapter 24, uh, at the beginning of that chapter, when Israel receives the law, and it wasn't the full law, their response was, all of the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. You see, their response to the law was one of promise, of obedience to do all that was commanded to them, even before they had the full list. They, they didn't have all of the law that God would give them. They, they didn't have a book in their hand that they could go through the 700 pages and be like, well, I don't know about this one. They had just received some of the law, not the full law, but they were yet willing to say, we will do all the words of the Lord. Israel's response was one of obedience, first and foremost. Now, if we were to turn to our gospel passage this morning, and we were to look at chapter 14 in the book of St. John, and we were to look at verse 15, Jesus says this, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. You see, the connection between Pentecost for the Jews and the giving of the law, and the day of Pentecost and the receiving of the Holy Spirit becomes a little clearer here we see a little bit more of a connection. You see, Jesus calls us to obedience and that we are called to keep His commandments. And He says that if we do that, if we keep those commandments, and it's a big if, then if we do, we do it because we love Him. He says, if you love Me, then you will do this. And we see this all in Scripture. If we were to go to 1 John, John says it over and over, if you love God, you'll do this. If you don't do this, you don't love God. If you keep His commandments, then you love Him. If you don't, then you don't. It's quite clear. 
The Jews in their commitment to obey the law, to obey the commands, to obey God's words, was to acknowledge God as both great and good and gracious. And that's why they promise obedience. And they do that obedience even before they have the full list. They are saying this, God, we know that you are a good God, and you give good things to your people. So if you tell us to do something, we will obey you because you only give us things to do that are for our good. We, we recognize that you're, you're good and you're gracious, so you're not going to ask us to do bad things. And, and if I think just for a moment, uh, think about kids, right? So h- how often have you had to say, do it because I said so, right? We, we tell our kids to do something and they always have to say, well, why, Dad? Well, I do it because I, I said so, right? I mean, Deacon Rick here, who had, had uh, just this weekend, two of his babies uh, graduate from high school. And so how many times over the last 18, 19 years did he have to tell his kids to do something and end up having to say, do it because I said so? Uh, we all know what that's like. But that is not the reason that Israel originally responds to the receiving of the law. No, instead, what we see is that they truly believe God for who He is. They, they see Him for who He is, but more than that, they love God. They do it because they know that God's a good God. And He tells them to do good things. And He's looking out for them. And they do it because not only that, but they know that He loves them. So when I tell my kids, don't do that, it's not because I'm trying to, to be the boss or I'm trying to hoard authority over them. I tell them because I tell them to do things that's good for them because I love them. And they obey me not because they're scared that they get a whooping. They're not, they don't do it because they're scared they might lose technology. They should do that because they love me. And they should say, Dad is a good dad. He only wants good for me, so if he tells me not to do this or to do this, it's because I love him. Israel's response of obedience wasn't one done because of some blind obedience. It wasn't because of some distant God that they just said, we have to do this. No, they do it because this obedience was driven out of love. This obedience was driven out of honor. And this obedience was driven out of knowledge. You see, they knew that God was a good God. They knew he was one that they could trust. And so they had this knowledge. And they could say, I will do it because. I will because. Or I won't because. And it's that knowledge that drives their obedience. And it's that knowledge that drives their love. That God is a trusting God. He's a trustworthy God. Christ comes and he reframes that for in a way that makes that connection between obedience and love even more direct and even more clear. He says, if you truly love me, if you truly love me, then you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you're going to do what I ask you to do. If you love me, you're going to not do the things I tell you to do. There's action related to this this loving of me. J.C. Ryle, the great Anglican bishop, says it very plainly. He says, do we profess to love Christ? Then let us show it by our lives. The apostle who said, Thou knowest that I love thee, received the charge, Feed my lambs. That meant do something. Be useful. Follow my example. You see, when we love Christ, when we love God, we will do what we are told to do. And we won't do the things that we're not supposed to do. It's clear that love of God provokes obedience. 
Love of God provokes obedience. Jesus then raises the bar when he directly ties obedience to the receiving of the Holy Spirit. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And if you do that, then I will ask the Father to give you the paraclete. That's the word there he uses. And it means, it means the encourager or the helper or the comforter or the advocate. And I will give you him. I will ask the Father and he will give you him forever. Of course, here he's referring to the Holy Spirit. And so what we see here is there's a direct conditional aspect to the receiving of the Holy Spirit that is directly related to being obedient. We see the same thing in verse 23 in our same passage when we're told that keeping of God's Word is tied to the Holy Spirit. When Jesus says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my Word. And my Father will love him and we will come to Him and make our home with Him. There is this aspect of loving God. It means that we're keeping His Word and keeping His commandments and doing what He says. And if we're doing that, then, well, God will come and make His home with us in the form of the Holy Spirit. The abiding of God within us flows out of loving Christ and keeping His Word. Now, we have a hard time with this sometimes. I think one reason we have a hard time with this is because we do not like any of this conditional aspect to our faith. We don't like being told that you have to do something. When we think of keeping commandments or even talk of keeping commandments, we see that as being too legalistic. You can't tell me what to do. I'm under grace. You can't tell me I have to obey things. I'm under Jesus. He covers all that. The thing with Jesus is that he actually takes those commandments. He takes those, those words and he expounds on it. If we go to the Sermon on the Mount, he says, You have heard it said, do not commit murder. That's a, that's, a pretty, that's a pretty good thing not to do, right? Jesus says, You have heard it said, do not commit murder. But I tell you that if you have hatred in your heart, you've already committed murder. Like in some ways, if I was there, I'd have been like, Whoa, time out. Let's, let's back this up, Jesus. Let's just stick with the ten that we got. <laughs> let's, I don't want you to expound anymore. I don't want you to, to flesh this out for me anymore. But that's exactly what Jesus does. He doesn't say, don't kill. Now he says, don't kill and don't have hatred in your heart. You've heard it said not to commit adultery, but I tell you, if you have lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. Now, Jesus, you've gone too far. But that's exactly what Jesus does. Jesus doesn't come in and say, you don't have to do anything God says. You want to commit murder? Go, go, have, go for it. You know, go, go have free reign. We said the Decalogue this morning because it's a reminder to us there's nothing in there that's bad. But we're so quick to say, well, I'm not under the law. I'm under, I'm under grace. Thank you, Jesus. Right? Because we don't want something to be held over us. So we see the law as something that's optional and not something that we have to do because, well, we have Jesus and that's all we need. Well, you know what? I, I, there's part of that that's true. Jesus is all that we need. I don't need to keep the law to receive salvation. Keeping of the law does not get me grace. It's only by Jesus. Only by His, His work on the cross. But that doesn't mean I get to have a DIY faith either. DIY, do it yourself. You just pick and choose what you want. You get to pick and choose what you obey. You get to pick and choose. It's all about preference. What do you feel most comfortable with?
We say things like, I don't live under the law anymore. I live under grace. I'm a New Testament Christian. I'm under the New Covenant. Father? So we, we think of talking of keeping commandments as something that seems outdated or passe or no longer necessary. Despite the fact that even in our own liturgy, every Sunday we have a reminder of what the law says in the summary of the law or the Decalogue. And it's our own St. John who says over and over in 1 John, if you love God, you'll do what He says. And if you don't do what He says, then, well, quite frankly, you must not love God. But to tie the receiving of the Holy Spirit to obedience, now that's, that reeks of legalism. That reeks of works-based faith, Father. And there's no way that this could be connected. You're telling me the only way that I receive the Holy Spirit is if I keep all the law. That's not what I said. I said, Jesus said, if you love Him, you'll keep the commandments and He'll give you the Holy Spirit. There can't be a connection between obedience and the Holy Spirit, right? Well, Scripture says, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments and I'll have my Father send you the Holy Spirit. Says it twice in that passage. But why does that make sense? Why, how does that make sense that the receiving of the Holy Spirit and the indwelling of God in the life of the believer is tied to loving God and keeping His commandments? How, how does that make sense? Well, I, I think we can all agree upon the fact that it is an obedient temple in which the Holy Spirit would dwell. So an activity I did this morning at, at the bridge was, let's look at this the other way. What's, what, it, what, what is, when we, when we say we're being disobedient to God, what is that really called? Sin. It's called sin. When we're being disobedient, when we're not keeping the commandments, we're being sinful. So is it so far to say that you can live a life of habitual sin, you can live a life of habitual disobedience, you can live a, a habitual life of being a lawbreaker, and keep the Holy Spirit? Is that where the Holy Spirit dwells? Is it someone who constantly and continually, habitually is a sinner? Is not repentant? Is not seeking reconciliation? Well, of course not. We would never say that. It would be a foreign concept to talk of the Holy Spirit dwelling in a temple that is full of sin, that's full of disobedience. How could God dwell in continual and habitual disobedience? So we can say with passion and conviction that the Holy Spirit will not and cannot dwell in the heart of a life of one who is perpetually disobedient. Now, I use the word perpetually there because we're all disobedient, right? We all have sin. We all have areas we fall when we get back up. We have areas where we're weak and we fight through that. We have areas where we're struggling with something, but we fight through that. It's the, the life of a person who does not fight. It's the life of a person who is just continually, perpetually living in disobedience and in sin, who has no care or no concern that the Holy Spirit doesn't belong there. But Father, you can never really believe that the Holy Spirit can be taken from someone. I don't know. Have you read Psalm 51? What did David pray? God... <laughs> Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. This is a man who is called a man after God's own heart. And that was his fear. But a, a word of caution. 
We must not walk down the path of turning obedience into an end in and of itself. That, this is where legalism happens. It's that people say, oh, so Father Drew said the only way to get the Holy Spirit is I got I gotta, I gotta, I gotta to keep all the law, and so I'm just going to focus on keeping on the law. And that's, that's not what I said. That's not what I mean. Being obedient is not the end goal, but it's part of the process of growing in holiness and sanctification. And being obedience is or being obedient is a direct result of having a relationship with Christ. Being obedient is a direct result of loving Christ. If my kids were constantly disobedient to me, constantly bucking me, constantly fighting against me, at some point I would say my kids don't love me. Because they're not doing what I say. So we can't divorce obedience from love. Obedience flows out of love, not the other way around. Legalism puts it the other way. Legalism says you have obedience and then you get love. Christ says you have love and obedience follows. And that's the difference. So we can't make the mistake of putting obedience, keeping of commandments, as the cause of love and as the cause of salvation. It's actually the other way around. We keep the commandments Christ gives because they are good for us. He doesn't give us bad things to do. He doesn't say, do not kill people because it's bad for us, because it's, you know, it's, it's, it's not bad for us not to do that. Right? I probably said that very confusingly, but you know, he tells us not to kill people because it's right for us not to kill people. We don't want the killing of the Imago Dei. Just the Despite the fact in our own country we have legalized the killing of a whole complete people. <laughs> Obeying Christ, keeping his commandments, lead us to righteousness and holiness that we might become more and more like Christ. It's part of that process, it's part of that sanctification. You see, we don't gain status or stature in keeping Christ's commandments. We get something much better, is that we get the Spirit. You you don't become a bigger Christian. You don't become more popular. You don't get a platform. You don't get accolades because you keep the law. You get something much better. You get the Holy Spirit when you obey Christ. Thus, the call for today is for us to keep Christ's commandments. And in doing so, we are obedient. And we receive the promised helper, the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that makes us partakers not only of Christ, but of all of his blessings. The Holy Spirit is the one who strengthens on one hand and defends on the other. And thus, when Christ tells us not to let our hearts be troubled, he is talking to us us who have received the Holy Spirit who lives and reigns with us. That is the result of having the Holy Spirit is that our hearts will not be troubled. They won't be. They can't be. Because we have the living God living inside of us. And when Christ says He will give peace, He doesn't do it in some fluffy way or in some metaphysical way, but in a real way. And that He gives us the third person of the triune Godhead, the Holy Spirit. We have no need to fear whether we'll be able to know. I mean, that's the next thing. Well, If me loving Christ means I have to keep His commandments, how am I going to remember them all? 
I mean, I don't even know what they all are. I'm, I mean, how am I going to remember? And, and, and how am I going to know what they are? Well, well the, the, the truth is we don't have to fear that because Christ tells us in this passage that this helper will show us all the things that Christ has commanded and will bring them to remembrance. We, we see that in our own lives. If you just think just for a moment, you think about the time when you feel that conviction. When you do something, you say something to someone and you know that you were wrong. And you're like, oh man, I can't believe I said that that way. I, I can't, I've, I'm sorry, I offended you. And it's not because you're some smart person. Now, you're all smart. And that's not, but I'm saying it's not your smarts that let you see that you made a mistake. It's not your smarts that shows you that you sinned against your neighbor. What it is is the Holy Spirit bringing to mind, showing you, convicting you, and bringing you to righteousness. So our call is to keep His commandments, and it's not some unachievable task that we must be able to muster all on our own, but one that we have the help of the living God to do. You see, the Holy Spirit is there to lead, guide, and direct our very lives so that we might walk in holiness, offering ourselves as a sacrifice and offering to God, keeping all that we have been commanded to do so that we might glorify Him with all that we are. And we must never forget that, we are, that all that we are able to do in this world, everything that we're able to accomplish in this world is done in and with and through the work of God and the Holy Spirit. We must not make the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives too little, thinking that we do almost all of this on our own and we only need the Holy Spirit for some emotional or overly spiritual need. It is indeed the power of the Holy Spirit that every good work is done and that our, our very sanctification is guided by. Not by our own might, but by the might of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus starts the passage with, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father to give you a comforter forever. He is calling us to the same faith that the Israelites were called to. One that says, We will obey all the, the words that you give us. Because we love you, we trust you, and we know that you are a good and gracious God. O obedience is not a dirty word. On the contrary, obedience is a word that is directly tied to our love of God. And as we seek to ever love God and showing that love by keeping His commandments, may we say this day and all the days of our lives, come Holy Spirit. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God our Savior be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. Amen.